thank you for the opportunity of sharing God's Word together this morning, and we're glad you're here on this uh, holiday weekend. I do want to uh, ask you to open your Bibles with us to 2 Kings. We are in 2 Kings at a little story, uh, chapter 7, and we'll be reading parts of it and working our way through that text this morning. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, between a rock and a hard place? You think so? As a matter of fact, I will guarantee there are people in this building this morning that are there. I mean, you are right there this morning. You are having to make decisions that you're having to deal with. You are having to deal with uh, health issues, financial issues, family issues, all of that stuff that just runs and we call it life. And it just hits us. But what do we do with it? How do we work with it? That's what we're going to be looking at, at this morning as we ask ourselves the question, and that's what I've titled the message, how desperate are you? Because, you know, if you don't get desperate, you'll never change. If there's not a level of desperation that comes into your life that needs addressing, you will stay the same. And so we want to show you a little passage that's mostly overlooked a lot in the Old Testament, but shows us some very real truths. Now, I want three special prayer requests. I'll pray and we'll get into the study of God's Word. One, we do want to pray for Brother Tommy Vincent. Uh, Brother Tommy is my pastor. Pastors have to have pastors, and he has been my pastor for years. Uh, he is much older than I am. No, I, I, I won't say that, uh, but uh, I do appreciate your prayer praying for him. You have been blessed with a prince of preachers in your midst the last few months, the merciful, most merciful man I've ever known in my life, and God has just blessed him and continues to bless him. So I want to pray for him. Second, I want to pray for your new pastor. Uh, I, I know my name got changed to Wade just a minute ago because I, I guess you can't preach here if your name's not Wade, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I'm glad to be able to stand and be a part of that. I know you're looking forward to him, heard great things. He's good friends with my son-in-law, and he and, I, he and uh, Wade go back a long ways in the, in the ministry of missions. So you'll be excited about that. The third thing I want us to pray about is uh, very close to my heart this morning. There is a man by the name of Jerry Fuquay. Jerry has dementia really bad and, and does not even know that he is in the world. Uh, he's health-wise, as far as his health is fine, he just has very little memory at all. Now you say, who's Jerry Fuquay? Jerry Fuquay is uh, the guy who ramrodded and uh, was the uh, uh, construction boss when this church was put together over on the square. Uh, Jerry was our Minister of Education at Longview, and he kind of headed up this project of getting everything started down here. And his heart has always been in missions. Uh, Brother Alvin, myself, and Jerry, along with a few others, traveled down the Amazon and improved our prayer life immensely. Uh, but uh, we traveled down the Amazon together. But Brother Jerry's family is just struggling this morning, so I'd like for us to continue to remember Brother Jerry Fuquay. Put him on your prayer list. Pray for his family. His wife's name is Kathy. They have three children, grown, married, several grandchildren. Uh, and it's a tough time. 
for that family. So I'm going to pray, and we'll get into the study of God's Word. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning. Thank you for the privilege of preaching your Word, of sharing with this, your people, this community of faith. Lord, we are a necessary community of faith in the midst of a godless world. You have placed us here. You have given us responsibility. You have given us an appointment. You have given us a message and a ministry that we are to be about. So I pray, Father, today you will let the Word of God speak to the heart of people at the very place where they need it the most. And may you be glorified with everything we do. May every word please you. May the presence and power of your precious Holy Spirit anoint our study together, anoint this place, anoint your Word, and we will give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Between the rock and a hard place. I'm going to start reading in verse 3 and read three or four verses and stop and talk about that and get back in as we go. That's the way we're going to approach it this morning. So leave your Bibles open or, or stay with us as we go through. Now here's the story. 2 Kings 7 verse 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. They said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine that's in the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. If we stay here, we shall die here. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we'll only die. Now, let me set the setting for you a little bit. The Syrians have uh, surrounded the city of Samaria. It is their desire to totally take away that city and to under siege, make them surrender to their onslaught as, a, as an evading army. Situation has gotten bad. People are starving within the city. People have died within the city. They have used up all of their uh, resources. They have uh, actually eaten all of their horses. And there is, from historical background, the... Uh, the truth that there is even cannibalism within the, within the city. And so we find a situation that is deplorable. A Syria, Syrian army was known for its brutality, for its uh, cruelty in the way he tortured its, uh, its captors. And so the people wanted not to have to give in, but they were losing all of the hope that they had. In the midst of this Syrian army, and wall city of Samaria, at the gates of the city sat four men who had leprosy. They were, at the out, they were outcast to the city. Uh, they were outcast to the Syrians. They had no home. They had no place. They had no honor at all. They were just existing. But they too were feeling the effects of all that was taking place around them. And so they make a decision. And the decision they make is... We are going to have to do something. That's what they basically said. Why sit we here till we die? The first thing I want you to see this morning is that God knows the very position you find yourself in as you sit in that seat in this worship service this morning. God knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows how you are to get around it and what he wants you to do in the midst. See, there's a lot of struggles going on in this congregation this morning. How do I know? Because we're human. There's leprosy this morning. You say, I didn't know about that. 
Yeah, there's a leprosy. Remember Psalm 51? David said, purge me with hyssop that I may be clean. Hyssop was a, a, a vine, I mean a, a reed that was used to hit the backs of a leprous man because the, the, the juice that was in that vine would be healing to a leper. David said, I'm dirty. Not from physical leprosy, but from spiritual leprosy. There's some people in this group this morning. You got things going on in your life nobody else knows about. You got things going on in your life this morning that, that others have no idea that you were dealing with that habit, dealing with that uh, set of particular struggles in your life, but you've got it. There's warfare going on. Every one of us have to deal with warfare. There's always spiritual warfare. And, and these lepers were caught between the warfare between Samaria and the Syrian army. They were in the midst of warfare. They were leprous. They were in the midst of manipulation. They were in the midst of mockery. Nobody wanted a leper. A leper had to call out and say that he's a leper so people would get out of the way. He was isolated. He was socially outcast. He was, was spiritually outcast. He couldn't go and worship anywhere. He was just stuck in the middle. And these men said, we can't do this. The best thing we could do is at least do something profitable. Why sit we here till we die? Now, I honestly believe being a Baptist preacher for 45 plus years, growing up in a Baptist church, I honestly believe you could write that epitaph over a lot of doors in Baptist churches across the state of Mississippi. We're just going to sit here till we die. No, we're not going to change. No, we don't, want any, we don't want those kind of folks in our church. All of those things. But I am grateful that there is a heartbeat here in this body of believers that has been established and continues to be established. And as it goes forward, I hope you will always remember two things. One, people matter to God. And the second thing is until he comes, we continue to go on mission with God. Those are the two things that must be there. We can't sit here and wait for somebody to bring something. I know there's some of you this morning. <laughs> I, I'm just at the first point. I'm meddling already. Okay. Uh, but you know, that's really okay. I'm just here for three hours. <laughs> I'll let Brother Wade straighten it out. There's some of you this morning who are waiting. You're sitting back and you're saying, well, I'm just going to see whether I like this new preacher or not. You are. If you say you're not, you're lying. So you need to come to the altar and invitation because that's human nature. But you can't sit here until we die. You can't. You're a community and a body of Christ called Longview Point Baptist Church. And by the name of church, it means you are a called out group of believers on mission with God. And that's no matter who the pastor is. So you can't stay in the same position. God knows exactly where you are. See, God knows you've got a new pastor coming. God knows he's going to have a different agenda. God knows he's going to preach different. God knows he's going to have a different uh, vision and a somewhat challenging vision for you because so, we've got to get over it. We can't sit here the rest of our life doing what we've always done and expecting to get better results. So that's where God wants us to be. One of my heroes in the faith is a man by the name of Manly Beasley. If you read Manly Beasley's story, it's one time in his life, Manly Beasley had seven terminal diseases in his body, different diseases. 
when he first found out this was happening, God had just called him to preach, and he was just beginning his work as an evangelist. He got along with God, and he said, I really got along with God to argue this thing out. I didn't know what was going to happen. And he said, in the midst of that time with God, in the study of God's word, God said this, Manly, I can heal you today. But if I heal you today, you will not have my power upon your life. So here's the choice, Manly. You can live with my power upon your life, or you can be healed. Your choice. Manly Beasley chose the power of God upon his life. And I've seen him when he could hardly stand behind a pulpit. But when the message went out, it went out with power. You see, he wasn't going to sit there until he died. I've got, I, I've got seven terminal diseases, so what? So what? You're going through a struggle, so what? I love the phrase, it came to pass in Scripture. Because they're going to pass. You've got to understand that. But you've got to understand, God knows the position you are in right now. Now, let's read a little further. Beginning in verse 5. They rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. When they came to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. And they said to one another, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, they rose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact. Their tents, their horses, their donkeys, they fled for their life. Verse 8, and when the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they ate. <laughs> Remember, they were just about to starve. And they drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. They came back and entered into another tent and carried away some from there and hid it. Guess what? The Syrians were gone. The provisions of God were sitting there waiting on these men. After they had decided, why sit we here till we die? Oh, God knows our position. We're going to do something. And as they begin to do something, they find out another truth that's applicable to our lives. And here it is. God has the provisions you need to get past the position you're in. He knows exactly what you're going to need to get over it, to get by it, to get around it, to get through it. He knows all of those things. It says that as they came, they found themselves in a situation where the, the army had just left everything. I mean, this is one big, huge struggle. I mean, an army is spread out all the way around them. They surrounded the camp. So there are countless numbers of tents with countless amounts of weapons, with countless utensils of food, with countless animals, and countless silver and gold. And these guys go in a tent, then they go hide some, they come back and get a tent, they go hide some, come back and get a tent, go hide some. Now, they still have another decision to make, and we'll get to that in a second. But here's what I want you to see. God delivers his provisions to you in a lot of different ways. I want you to see 
that God's delivery boys always dress in ways that usually aren't familiar to us. The enemy brought the provisions, but the provisions were there. The enemy had the provisions till God stepped in and took it away from them and gave it to the leprous men. See, so many of us really would love to trust God, but we can't get past our own boundaries. I love that song about freedom. See, one of these days as a church going to wake up and understand the freedom they have in Christ is going to change the world for Jesus Christ. I believe that. But we're all bound. How much does this go to cost? That's what the budget committee wants to know. And we base everything on how much it's going to cost. Well, guess what? These four leprous men thought they were going to die. They ended up with all the gold and silver of the opposing army, brought to them by the opposing army, left for them by the opposing army so they could feast and not famine. God doesn't always do it the way we want it done. God never, very seldom, does he ever approach things like we want it. See, we want to finagle things. Y'all understand that word? This is North Mississippi. Y'all understand the word finagle? You got it. Okay. We want to figure it out. We want to pull our plastic out of our pocket and pay for it, not realizing. See, you don't want to know how much something costs. You just want to know what the monthly payments are. <laughs> and if you know what the monthly payments are, you never ask what it costs. Right. And so you pay all this interest on something that you could have been giving to somebody to go on a mission trip so people that never heard the gospel could hear it. But that's just who we are. we got to figure it all out. we got to work it all out. Get it all like we want it. Then, God, if I have anything left over, it's yours. All 2%. Forget 10, God. I just got two. My car, my boat, my camper had the other. I'm not knocking cars and boats and campers. I'm just saying most of them sit in our backyard. We use them three times a year. <laughs> I told you I was going to meddle. All right. Here's the deal. God knows the provisions he has for you throughout your life. He brought the supply, and the supply came boldly, and the supply came quickly, and the supply came at the very time it needed to come. I was by our daughter and son-in-law's a few weeks back, and went to his bookshelves and began to just look because I, I had finished reading the book I was in. We were going to be there a couple of days. I wanted to see. Pulled the biography of George Mueller off the shelf. Read that biography and got more convicted the further I went. George Mueller was asked by God to take care of the orphans in Bristol, England. He started with one house. By the time he finished, he had 2,000 orphans he was taking care of. Uh, if you change everything from pounds into dollars, in his lifetime, he raised over $13 million for his homes. And guess what? He didn't do any campaigns. He didn't ask one person for money because he said to God, I'll do this, Lord, the way you want it done. I'll believe you can provide, and I will never ask a man for a penny One particular time, mentioned in the book, he called the people in to breakfast. 210 people sat around tables 
with their plates on the table, their glasses on the table, but there was no food there. George Mueller had them be seated. He prayed a prayer thanking God for the provisions that they had. He finished the prayer. They all looked up. The plates were still empty. The glasses were still empty, but there was a knock at the door. A baker from the nearby town said, Mr. Mueller, I don't understand this, but God woke me up at 3 o'clock this morning and told me to bake extra bread and bring it to you. Do you need this? So they brought the, the bread in and began to distribute it. There was another knock at the door. And when he opened the door, there was a milkman there who said, Mr. Mueller, our truck just broke down in front of your orphanage. The milk's going to run. Can you use this? In an answer to prayer, praying for provisions that had not yet come, God provided both the bread and the milk. And we say, we say hallelujah. We do. We, we rejoice on stories like that. But it never happened to me. Well, these guys were lepers. Just unknown people. They're not even named in the scripture. But God took care of them and used them to take care of an entire city. So that God has the provisions you're going to need to serve him the rest of your life. Amen. You want to go on a mission trip? God can send you on a mission trip. I love Ecuador. I've been to Ecuador so many times, nine or ten times now. Love it. Love being down there with those dear people and pastors. I've uh, been to Peru several times. Uh, several of those countries across South America. It's just, it, it, it's kind of a part of me. Now, I cannot speak Spanish. I don't even say taco right. But, but I, I always have good interpreters, so it works out good. But I, 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 there is a need. And I want to tell you something. If you've never taken a mission trip outside of the country, you need to because it will change your spiritual life. You'll never be the same again. My wife came back from her first mission trip, and it was four months before she bought anything. It just made her sick at how much we had that we threw away. Scared our kids because it was like November and they thought we weren't going to have any Christmas. <laughs> it really was. All right, but that's, that's just one of those things that happens. All right, here's what we know from this text. God knows the position you're in. God knows the provisions he has. Now, I want to skip a little bit of the story, but let me tell you what happens. That, well, I, let me read, read a couple more verses. Verse 9. They said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until the morning, some punishment will come above, upon us. Let us now, therefore, and go and tell the king's household. What are they saying? We shouldn't keep this to ourselves. There's so much more than we would ever have. We've got so many more blessings than we would ever need. Let's go tell the king that the Syrians are gone and for the people to come out and refresh themselves. The siege is over. The, the famine is past. But we need to tell the king. So they go to tell the king. There is the usual human way of looking at it. It's a trap. 
So the, this king says, I don't have anything to do with it. It's a trap. They want to kill us. They're waiting in ambush. As soon as we come, they're going to kill us all. The scripture tells us that. But in verse 14, it says, Therefore they took two chariots with horses. The king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army and said, Go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan. And indeed, all the road was full of garments and weapons the Syrians had thrown away as they hastily left. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. What happened? <laughs> Revival broke out. The famine was over. The feast could start. It could all be done. Why did that happen? Here's why. God knows the proclamation he wants your life to give to other people. We sing about being free, but did you tell anybody you're free this week? We're grateful that when we die, we're going to heaven, but did you tell anybody how to go to heaven this week? Or did we just do what's on our daytimers? Excuse me, I'm a little old. What's in our, in our phones, in our calendars? Did we just do what's there? Because we had to do it again the next day. We had to do it again the next day. And if you're not careful, you'll spend 40 years of your life doing what's on the next day's calendar and never share Jesus with anybody. Amen. You say, how do I know that, Brother Wayne? How do you know that, Brother Wayne? Because 96% of all Baptists never share their faith in their entire lifetime. You know what that means? 96% of you in this room will hold back your faith, the proclamation of how you've been freed from the famine of sin and feasting at the banner table of the Lord, and we not tell it anybody. Wow. What a message we have. What a Savior we have. What a spirit we have. The Holy Spirit dwells within you if you're a believer, which means you have the ability to obey God in every decision you make. Because the spirit of a living God dwells within you. Are you listening? You're listening to him. Responding to him. See, that's the point. And that's what we, that's what we, we have to see as we, as we move through this passage. So here it is. Are you desperate yet? How do you get desperate? Well, you've got to know the position you're in. You've got to know that the provisions are already there. And you've got to be willing to proclaim what God has already done within the framework of your life. And as you do so, God will release you to more and more of his work, more and more of his ministry, more and more of his service. More and more people will want to know what's different about your life. Let me close with an acrostic. Some of you who know me know that I use acrostics, whether I need to or not. I'm going to give you some tips. T-I-P-S. Write these four down. As you think about this passage and being desperate, here's what you need to know. T, trust the Lord to make us real. And folks, many of us came into this building today and we are saying, how are you? Well, I'm fine, how are you? And you lied. You're not fine. You needed a brother or sister in Christ to pray with you, to wrap their arms around you and hug you because you felt lonely. 
You need a brother and sister in Christ to pray with you because you're dealing with a family problem. You may have straying kids. You may have an aging parent that's about to die, about to leave this world. You're, you're hurting on the inside. You don't need to say, I'm doing fine. You're not doing fine. Get real. Understand that the real life is the life we have in Christ and the community and fellowship of a church. That's your life. And folks, if you don't believe that, I can attest to it. Because after 25 years of serving in a church, I found myself churchless. And I learned quickly in these last five months what a community of faith was really all about. And how much it's needed in everybody's life. But you got to get real. Because you see, when you get real... The person sitting next to you is going to get real. And pretty soon the world's going to know, hey, I can go to that church and they're not going to, not going to gossip about me. Now, we don't really gossip. We do it as prayer request. <laughs> well, I know this is, this is incompetence, but uh, let's pray for so-and-so who's having trouble with it. You know, and all that is is gossip. You know, we just need to hurt and pray, you know, live our way through each other. So get real. Trust the Lord to make you real. You may have to get to that place where the lepers were, where you're in a position that you got to do something or you're going to die. And when you get there, then God can make you real. All right, invest in the eternal, not the external. Do you know it doesn't say that those lepers were gloriously healed of their leprosy? It never says that their life changed one bit in terms of their physical problems in terms of their social problems, their spiritual problems. But they did what was right anyway. What is that? That's an investment in the eternal, not the external. Can, can I tell you that yard of the month will go away? Can I tell you that your college football team will lose one day? In case of Mississippi State, maybe win. But the idea would be that, that you know... At least we're not orange, amen? Uh, but the idea is that, that, that all of this is, is taking place around us. But can I tell you that college football is not eternal? Can I tell you that eight-point buck is not eternal? Your golf score is not eternal? Your shopping trips aren't eternal? Disney World isn't eternal. I know that's shocking. I'm not saying don't be a part of all those things or do them. But are you investing in eternality? I'm not going to sit here until I die. I want to go, and if I die, I'm going to die trying. Mount Everest has a little sign. And, of course, we had some guys killed this, this past week trying to climb Mount Everest. Has a sign about two-thirds of the way up where people died. A good many people die there. And the deal was this. They died climbing. That's exactly what those lepers were doing. We're not going to sit here until we die. We're going to die climbing. If we die, we'll just die. P, pray for the truth to always be revealed in your life. You know, sometimes we don't like the truth. You know, the Bible says the truth will set you free. It will, but it sure doesn't feel good sometimes. But that's all right. That's part of the spiritual growth process of your Christian life. And that's where God wants us to be. And yes, serve the Lord with gladness in whatever circumstance you're facing. Be willing to serve him. Now, 
Let's wrap all this up and kind of land the plane. Are you desperate this morning? Here's the second question. Are you willing to be made desperate? That's a a tough question. It really is because I tell you what, (laughs) when God makes you desperate, sometimes he he takes away everything and starts over. Because the only way he can get you to nothing is is to get it all away. And you say, man, I sure hate that. I, I have people come by and they, they've worked for 30-something years with the same company and they just let me go. I have people who come by and they've retired and they say, before they retired, the thing they said to the pastor is, I am looking forward to retirement because I can serve the Lord so much more and do so much more with the church. I'm going to be up there every day. Do you know, out of all the people who have ever told me that, I had one man show up. rest of them went camping. Went down to the seashore and gathered shells. Something else. But see, this church thing, this worship thing, this salvation thing, this spirit-filled life thing, that is reality. That is life for us. All the rest of this stuff isn't life because it's going to burn up. Wood, hay, and stubble. That's what the Bible says. Only the things done for Christ. So, are you willing to be made desperate? Second, do you understand that as God's working in your life today, He is bringing you the provisions you need for the future? You say, I wish He'd hurry up. God doesn't work on our timetable, but He works. And understand this as you go and as the provisions come, your proclamation ought to be. Jesus did it. I didn't do it. Jesus did it. And when you tell people Jesus did it, then they've got to be faced with whether they'll trust Jesus or not. Now, not everybody you say you hear that hears you say Jesus did it's going to trust Jesus, but some of them will. But they're not going to not going to do it if you don't tell them Jesus did it. That's where you got to be.